Hello, and welcome to season two of Crazy Pastors. I'm your host, Christopher Cass. And I'm your other host, Ronnie Marriott. And this is Crazy Pastors. Welcome to season two of Crazy Pastors. Today, we're going to talk about leadership and governance, two of your favorite wow. subjects, yes, Ronnie. big subjects, for sure. Well, as we get going, I want to have a preface to our conversation today, Please Ronnie, and, and let all of our faithful listeners know <laughs> that we are not talking about this from a scholarly perspective. Oh, right? heavens no. Now, there are others like Mark Devers you can go listen to, and he'll yeah. give you a scholarly perspective. This is more conversational, our opinions, things we've seen Yes. And words for the wise, peace. We know a few things because we've seen a few things, right? That's right. So let me ask you this. So there's, I have several questions to ask you really? uh, to lead the conversation because okay. uh, I'm kind of that way. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> le, le, <laughs> and then you'll tell me what I should have said. That, well, you. I'll correct it. Okay, yes. thank you. First question is, is the Bible clear on how a church should be governed? That's a great question. There is an example Obviously, the New Testament church, which most people refer to in the New Testament, although I think it's a continuation of the Old Testament, but anyway. So there is an example regarding elders, deacons, and all that, but there's no set pattern. There's no set leadership structure outside of Jesus, a pastor, and then the congregation. So within that, there's all kinds of different models. Some people will say, well, if you're going to be a real church, you've got to do it just like it's written in the New Testament. I don't believe that's, that is the only example of how a church can be run. Now, the roles are there. But titles and positions, all that can be very fluid based on the local congregation. So would we call these things, what the New Testament talks about in church leadership, would that be prescriptive or postscriptive? <laughs> Sorry, that was that was a nine marks dig. Yeah. Uh, no, it, in all seriousness, though, a couple weeks ago you preached on this concept of binary bias. Yes. That when you break a subject down to either a yes or no— mm-hmm it ultimately means I'm right and you're wrong. Right. So I think my question is just more general in nature. Like if I don't remember reading in the New Testament anything about the position of archbishop or bishop at all. Yeah. Or, you know, whether it's Methodist with, you know, bishops in their their regions, what are they— I'm, I'm blowing the name of my mind of yeah. what this, the convention or conferences, conferences yes. yes, or whether it is the sessions right. in yeah. Lutheran uh, or Presbyterian. So, I mean, those aren't in there, right? Right. No. So is it wrong that they're doing it? It's not wrong. I mean, you got to look at the context. Once Jesus came on the scene and people were converted to Christianity, especially out of Judaism, they left the temple. They weren't allowed back in the temple. So they had to do church. And so they didn't have buildings. They had to use houses. And so you know, even now there's a house church movement. So people can see No, there that. has been for 30 yeah. years. And it's become very popular now. And, and I don't think they're saying, well, this is the only way to do it. They just kind of like that model. So I think you have to look at the context. The church wasn't very big. There was no need for an association. But even as Paul started to go out and others, they were connecting to different churches or congregations or groups in different villages, which technically they were the church in that town. Right. And I think an argument could be made that... Paul was a overseer of overseers. Yes. Yeah. Right? If not, I don't think it uses that language at all, but to say that he was a mentor, a teacher, an mm-hmm. educator, a guide for other overseers is 
Without question, right? right? Yes. And so maybe that's where we get into this idea of one pastor, as I think Paul would qualify, right, (laughs) overseeing other pastors in other flocks. So, I mean, I can see that. Going back to this binary thing, you know, we serve uh, Southern Baptist Church. We are whole hog Southern Baptist. Whole hog. Right? Especially in the South, you know, whole hog. (laughs) A little brisket, maybe. But... We, I think sometimes we get into this weird space where we think we're right. Mm-hmm. And I, when I mean we, I mean we Baptists. I don't mean you and I, right. yeah. uh, although we, we're susceptible to the same thing. I think just as Baptists that we're right, everyone else is wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting because you see the elder movement. Yes. Very popular in Baptist churches now, which before it was not a part of typical Baptist denomination life. And that's where kind of this idea of this is right and this is wrong. There's one way to do it. Any other way is wrong. And nothing wrong with elder model. Obviously, that is the model we see in the New Testament. But I don't believe there's anything wrong with doing it a different way. Again, the positions are being filled. And typically in a Southern Baptist church, the pastors on a staff are considered those elders and play those elders role. Even if you have a head elder or senior pastor, lead pastor, still the dynamics are there, the the positions, the, the things that are being done, those are all being taken care of just in a different way to call it currently and ways to use non-vocational ministers as well. Let's talk for a minute about the different styles of governance that we've seen in churches that okay. we've worked with or friends we've had at and things like that. Yeah. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of them. One is the elder model. Right. Now, even within the elder model, it's pretty interesting because I've seen churches where the elders are non-staff members. Mm-hmm. I've seen elder bodies. In other words, it, it works like a board of directors that right. hires a CEO, but the CEO is not on the board of directors. Right. Right. So I've seen that. I've also seen where you have a mix of staff and congregants. Yeah, church council kind of approach. Okay. We, we blend. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about, I think the, the tried and true Southern Baptist method is that the Board of Governors is the deacon council. Yeah, that's definitely kind of the older model and was very popular for many years and, and worked for many years. And then the kind of the movement, no, deacons are servants, so let's make sure they're not on every committee, you know, they're not leading the church. And now you kind of see almost the pendulum swinging back, but now it's elders, not deacons. So that kind of need of understanding lay involvement, church member involvement, as well as staff being involved in the leadership of the church. I wonder, you know, so we talk about Lutheran, we talk about Methodists, and, you know, uh, of course, Catholicism, very, very organized. Right. Baptists are a little unique Mm -hmm. because while we're very organized and the largest denomination in our country currently— We are also vehemently independent, which is so strange, (laughs) right? We associate together, and we're serious about the association, which is why, you know, at the convention, whether it's state or national, things get pretty heated sometimes. Right. So we take it serious. Yes. At the same time, we're the first ones to say, ain't nobody going to tell us what to do. (laughs) Yeah, we love that autonomy word. Yes. Yeah, that we are independent. And I know I say that all the time. I, I really do mean it, but I, a little yeah. tongue-in-cheek, that yeah. we are vehemently independent. Oh, yeah. So let's dip the toe further in the water on this. Okay. Congregationalism. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I've seen over the years, and I've had the opportunity to work in several different denominations, not as a staff member for our listeners, but yeah. as a consultant, coach, teacher. Yeah. I've seen lots of different ways to do it. And honestly, I've seen so many ways that were really, really good. Sure. Effective even though they're different. The one thing, though, that I have seen consistently that doesn't work, and we're seeing it more and more publicly now, 
where a senior pastor is given total authority, yeah, or even a staff is given total authority, right? Right. I would argue against that. Yeah. And so at the other end of the spectrum, we have this thing called congregationalism, right? Where it says the congregation, or this is my take on it. You fill in the gap here. Okay. My take is that kind of Mark Devers one assembly method that. But they're elder-led, so yeah. f- scratch that. Sorry, Mark. But congregationalism <laughs> would be that yeah. all decisions are made by all the people. Yeah. And so every yeah. single thing that we have to vote on, we're there's no centralized authority. It's completely dispersed. Everything's a church vote. Yeah, and that was, you know, that idea, of course, you know, and especially as churches grow, the saying is the larger an organization grows, the smaller the group that makes the decision becomes. Because that's where we saw churches getting bogged down. We had to vote on the color of carpet. We had to vote on everything that was being voted on and brought in front of the congregation with monthly business meetings. So that just bogged things down and made things move very slowly. And as our society gets more fast-paced, then our churches want to be more fast-paced. And just realize that nobody really cares, and you're, you're going to create division over the color of a carpet. So that's always the famous right. line about churches and splits over something ridiculous. And so that understanding of congregationalism to that point, which I think was just a misunderstanding of what was meant. Again, a small group making decisions, talking about vision, giving leadership, but at some point bringing the congregation in, communication, not on every little detail about carpet, but budgets, hiring ministers, all those kind of things. Yeah, big changing decisions need to be involved. Okay, you kind of hit that really quick. Let me backtrack a little bit. So we at our church, we are a congregationally led church because our elders are elected by the congregation. Trustees. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You have a lot of... Got a lot on my mind right now. Our (laughs) trustees, which serve as our board of governors. Correct. So our governance is congregational because it's elected by the people. So it's a representative governance. Right. How do you decide what things should be voted on, what things don't need to be voted on? And I, I'm I, more yeah. color to that. I'm sorry. Just Go ahead. Jump in. No. I'm thinking about a sole proprietorship. Let's get okay. away from the church. Let's look at a corporate corporation. Okay. You're a sole proprietor. You got one person. That person's making it happen. He yeah. hires a few people. Now you have a team. And then it grows. Now we're opening up a second location. Now we have multiple teams. Now we have multiple management. The, the layers of it get more and more complex the bigger it gets. I think sometimes in the church we fight that. Yeah. You know, we say, no, 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 it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't right. be that way. Yeah. But it has to be that way. Name any other organization that as it grows doesn't centralize decision-making at some point. Yeah, sure. And that's where I think that disconnect is, yeah, we want to hear from the congregation because at some point, like budgets— those kind of things, hiring a pastor. Okay. You're going to rely on support from the congregation. So rather than saying, hey, we're going you to do this. You mean financial? Yeah, financial support or support of a pastor to follow his leadership. So rather they than saying, hey, <laughs> well, in some <laughs> places, uh, here being one of those. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's that idea of, okay, we expect you to support this. So why would we not take the time to communicate, to show why we feel God has led us to this decision whether it's buying property, whether it's updating a facility, whether it's hiring a, a lead pastor, because there's that idea we are a family. Mm-hmm. And so, but I think the, the disconnect was, well, then we need to vote on everything. No, the idea is we need to communicate these things and communicate well so people have a voice. Hey, we have these opportunities to discuss these issues because they're that big. 
Right. They're going to impact your life as an individual, your family, as well as our church. But in the end, there's got to be trust to the leaders. That, that's a big thing. That is right? a big thing. It's huge. There, there is... Um, Which has been abused at times and been neglected at others. Yes. So we see, if, if you look at either the Roy's report or you look at the rise and fall of Mars Hill, anything of... You know what's happened with McDonald's, Zacharias. I mean, there's so there's many. Yeah, there's, long, there's so many, right? A long list. So, but that's that's mirrored in corporate abuse as well, sure. right? Oh, it's all over. So it's interesting to me that on one hand we need to centralize, and most people I think would understand that. But the, the other hand is we how do we how can we centralize and have high accountability at the same time? And, that's really what I'm chewing on and thinking through. When I look at church governance today, how can yeah. we be nimble and flexible? How can we have speed and pace to decisions that need to be made? Yeah. Like we just, we, we're doing a, a, a remodel of one section of our building that hasn't been touched in 40 years probably, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. bad, really it bad. It's bad. And you go look at it now and it's marvelous. Yes. Great but job. those are things that we as a staff can execute on in the matter of weeks. Yeah. That if we had to go to committees, yeah. our church at one point had, what, 41 committees or something oh, like that? It was outrageous. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon for Baptist churches to have, yeah. you know, a committee on committees. That's usually the one that you know you're in trouble <laughs> if you have a committee on committees. But it would have taken us months to execute a remodel if we had had to use committees to do it, in my opinion. Yes. No, I, I agree 100%. But one of the churches I served during a relocation process, of course, building new buildings, you got to decorate, you got to look at color schemes, all this. They had three people on a team to decide everything mm. from de- decor to paint colors to layouts of rooms, three people. And it was beautiful because it happened quickly. I love you know, that. Yeah, it was. It worked very well. And there's a point that, you know, churches have to understand. We appoint these people, vote for, elect them, whatever, which says we trust them. We trust them to do what we've tasked them to do. And so I think that's where it breaks down sometimes. The church is like, well, okay, what are you really up to? Mm. (laughs) You trusted this person to put them on the board, then trust them now to make these decisions. Is it true that most distrust is birthed in pain? Well, sure, yeah. Right, so at some point these people have questions and they distrust because they've been hurt and burnt in the past. Another church or similar situations, yeah, no doubt. I, you know, uh, today I was doing this this session on emotional intelligence for another group, and I just shared with them, I confess, that I've been reading, writing, and teaching on this leadership topic for almost 24 years. Mm, wow. That's insane. Yes. Yet, I still have to apologize on a regular basis to my team <laughs> and to our staff, yeah. because I'll still mess it up. So there's Maybe maybe that's part of the humility of leadership is recognizing that, you know, you're never there and you always need to communicate. And where I'm driving on this is at our church, and perhaps it's a good thing for all churches, because constitutions and bylaws are as different as the many yeah. colors that are possible. Right. I mean, there's no one way to do that. At our church, we say that there are three things that the church will vote on, everyone. One is the hiring of senior pastor. Two is, and I say non-budget. I mean, they, they approve the budget every single year. Right. The second is an expense to the budget more than 1%. Yes. So that that's a good safeguard. And the third is an encumbrance mm-hmm. to our church and church family. Right. 
which could be usually it's financial, could be a legal encumbrance. There's lots of ways yeah, you can encumber that directly impact the individuals. Yes, I just wonder how much do we communicate uh, to our community at large? Maybe we should do this more in our uh, Discover First class. Yeah, to help remind them, educate them. Hey, these are the things that the whole uh, church will always vote on. But everything else, we have elective leadership and we have staff right. that are going to make all these things happen. Yeah, and that, that conjunction working together, it does boil down to trust and things that are the biggest impacts on individuals' lives. And yeah, <laughs> you're right. A lot of it's come out of people's pain. But every church doesn't have to be painful. <laughs> That's part of the reason we're talking about this whole issue of being crazy pastors and realizing that this, uh, that's why I love this concept we're in now, that this, we are family and we treat each other with family. There's great respect and there's great communication and there's great care for one another. Because I think in the end of the day, for the most part, everybody wants to see the same thing happen. We have our different ideas of how that should happen. But in the end, we want to see people reach for Christ. We want to right. see people discipled. We want to right. reach the needy. We want to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. Right. So if we keep those main things the main things, it kind of helps all that other fall into place. Whether you don't like the color of the walls, that's okay. We still mm-hmm. have walls. <laughs> you know. I had someone come up to me a while back. I'll just say a while back. A while back. And they were a little put off because they didn't know that the parking lot was going to get striped. Hmm. Wow. And, and I thought, who, what in the world? Because <laughs> I what? like to park where I want to park. <laughs> well, it, I'm just thinking the average person, how do they think that's going to get communicated to yeah. the entire church? Yeah. Hey, just a heads up, yeah. right? Yeah. You already approved this in our budget. It's a part of our ongoing maintenance of our facilities. Just want you to be aware we decided to stripe the parking lot and we're going to use yellow <laughs> and white yeah. in our, you know, yeah. anyway. Well, it's just weird. And you brought up a good point earlier that this whole idea that from the leadership standpoint, there's a fear of failure. Oh my gosh, right? yes. So coming back and say, hey, I apologize. I didn't do this right. We didn't think this through or we didn't see that coming. Right. Right. So that should be the atmosphere. And so a pastor or a leader is like, I'm afraid to fail, so I'm going to keep real tight. I'm not going to tell people what I'm doing. I'm going to keep. And so if it doesn't work, then I, maybe nobody notices, rather than saying, hey, there's where I'm headed, and being able to apologize without fear of losing their job or losing credit among the congregation. Because we are all fallible. We're going to make mistakes. We're not always going to do it the right way. Right. But again, at the end of the day, what is the motivation behind what we're doing? Why are we doing what we're doing? And what is the hopeful outcome? If we don't achieve it, all right, then we learn. Let's try something different or scrap that. That was not the right thing to do. But that's, there's so much pressure, and that's where you hear people coming to complain about all these kind of things from the leadership, like, well, I, I can't mess up because then I'm going to be berated or discredited. And that just shouldn't be an environment in a church. Well, I agree with you. And I do, just as a point of adulation, adoration, bragging. Accolation. I, whatever the words are. Yes. I'm really glad to serve at First Burleson. Over the last five years, uh, we have gone through a cultural shift. It's always mm. difficult we, following a long-seasoned lead pastor who did a great job. Yep. 29 years. 29 years, Mike did, and led this church well. Yeah. Right? And then to come in and everything's going to shift and it's going to change and it's difficult and... Uh, of course, staffing and all those things change. Our staffing philosophy and model has changed. Right. But what we do as a church hasn't changed. Right. 
Uh, some of our programming certainly has changed. It's hard for people to come along for the journey, mm-hmm. but I have been so proud of our people Yeah, uh, because I think they did give some trust. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things we learned kind of after we started here, but we spent a lot of time talking about what's not going to change. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was a, a good move. I'm glad that we did that because people, new leadership always brings change mm-hmm. from personnel to policies, all mm-hmm. that. But to talk about, okay, but here's some things you can count on that are not going to change. And I thought that brought security. And I think that ramped up trust from the congregation to the leaders. And, okay, these guys are committed to these things just like we are. So we can we can give a little bit and some things that maybe we wish would stay the same, but know that they need to change. Yeah, that was healthy. I agree completely. We were really fortunate to have come across and digested his entire staff, Todd Bolsinger books, Canoeing mm-hmm. the Mountains, yeah. early in our time here. Right. And we made it mandatory for all staffs. I'm a huge fan of the book. Yeah. I mean, all of us are, because it's so, so practical, and especially the yeah. preparation it made for us, and I see God's yeah. hand in that for COVID, yeah. was just amazing. Yeah. So that's a plug for Bolsinger's book, <laughs> Canoeing the Mountains. It's a must, must read. Speaking of which, it's a great segue. Let's go into our Go no go segment okay. right now. This is where we talk it. about things Great that we're a fan of that. or things that we think really stink. Yeah. So, Ronnie, do you have a go no go for today? <laughs> I would like to hear from you first. Oh, let me share my go no go. It happens to be a book. I'm a little embarrassed to admit it that I started reading this book probably three years ago. Wow, it's a big book. No, oh, it's it's okay. a very easy read. Slow but reader. I, you know, this is part of my craziness. You know, I love paper yeah. and books and yes. journals and writing very and tactile, ink. Very tactile. I yeah. am. I am. Oh, thank you for that massage, Ronnie. <laughs> uh, the, but sometimes when I travel, I get digital copies of books mm-hmm. just to have them all on my iPad so I can read them there. I had forgotten that I had oh. started reading this book wow. several years ago. So I just completed it. Now I'm journaling it. But it's really an exceptional book. It's by Stephen Johnson, and it's called How We Got to Now. And it's six innovations that made the modern world. Yeah. And his premise for the book was to look at, let, let's say we are 5,000 years into the future. The world is, humanity is gone, oh. and aliens come and do archaeological digs to discover who was there. What did they do? What were the most significant innovations that these humans mm. made. Yeah. And so he's come up with six of them, and it's fascinating to know that, you know, 2,000 years ago, someone developed glass, manufactured glass, huh. and now the table, our computer, my iPod, everything that we have has glass my in it My left now. eye. Yeah, you, yes, your glass eye. Thank you, Sammy Davis. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I'm just a huge fan of this book, Six Innovations. Some of them will blow your mind. Because you, if you thought of the greatest inventions on the planet, oh. you would not think of these. But they all led to so many things. So it's fascinating. So it's nonfiction? Uh, yes, okay. it is nonfiction. Okay. Yeah. This is not a science fiction story about aliens post-apocalyptic. Oh, okay. okay. No, this is yeah, historical. So it's, it's a go. It's a go it's for a me. Go. Go it's for an you. absolute go. Okay. I'm reading the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Oh, really? Right now, have you ever read that book? I have not read it's it. It's heavenly. Yeah. It, and he did all this extensive study on heaven, read 150 books from secular to religious books, and just very incredible insight about heaven, what it's going to be like, and what we're going to be like. And so I, I give that a go if you're interested in heaven. And he makes a great point at the beginning of the book. We don't talk a lot about heaven. He said, most Christians know more about Mars than they know about heaven. 
and uh, hmm. that may be true. I know nothing about Mars, but well, can I ask you? you know, since you've I read have, this, so. now you you know you you've accumulated 150 books of knowledge just by reading well, this one book. Sound bites, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> do dogs go to heaven? For all the children that are out there, can we well, go ahead? Well, that's it's a very interesting study. In fact, Billy Graham had a statement on that that if your dog being in heaven will make you happier, I believe your dog will be in heaven. Isn't that interesting? That's a non-answer answer. So yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sticking with Billy Graham. Okay. That's just, yeah. Give him hope. Yeah. God give wants you hope. to be happy. Yeah, give him hope. If the dog makes you happy, yeah. Yeah. sure. <laughs> okay. I mean, he's going to hold him accountable one day. Like. So your go on Alcorn. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very no, interesting. He's interesting several pers- books that are perspectives. good. He's interviewed by Don Donald Miller on Oh, a, I've heard of him video. too. Yeah, it's, so that's a great interview if you get a chance to see that on Right Now Media. Oh, fantastic. Which is one of our sponsors, I believe. Yes, Right Now okay. Media. Oh, we need to do a segment on that. <laughs> Okay, so to bring our the, today's podcast to a close. Um, but before you do that, just say this, because we talked about different stages of churches, right? Yes. So the, the single pastor, no staff. Right. Uh, with this idea of leadership. And if you're that person, be sure you've brought some people around you in your church, whether it's recognized or official. You need a group to bounce ideas and things across, because the pastorate can feel very lonely, mm. uh, but it doesn't have to. So just that concept, I think, about, you know, if you have deacons there to support you, but just you've got to have two or three people to come alongside you and talk vision and purpose and even bylaws if necessary. Well, and to dovetail to that, you're talking about having people within the church that are your, what you've called your fab five. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. That are your sounding board that also encourage you. Yes. I adopted that model years ago and it's been very helpful. There's also, I think, something that is necessary that is completely ignored by 90 plus percent of all vocational ministers. And that's an external network. Yes. The same thing. Yeah. Who's your fab five that are not at your church right. that are holding you accountable, that are asking you difficult questions, that are pushing and prodding you to become better? Yes. I think that's a, you talked about denominations, a strength of our denomination. I don't think it's always a strength of pastors, mm. uh, this idea of networking and having a group outside. We get very territorial, very protective, very competitive, which I think is a detriment to our leadership at times. Mm. So break free from that chain and you know, get a network of folks outside the church that do what you do and learn together. Well, let me give you the last word, and I'll of set course. it up this way as we close the podcast. There are many different ways that you can lead the church. Mm -hmm. Many different models, different denominations. You can call it whatever you want. We call it trustees. Others call it elders. You could have deacons that are the governing board. But at the end of the day, I think what I would say about leadership and governance in the church is that it is absolutely critical that a singular person Mm. or even a small group of people do not have unchecked authority. Yes. So I know sometimes it slows things down. I know it makes it more difficult. But if we didn't have a process at our church Mm -hmm. that would allow the congregation to remove a trustee— Yeah then I think that's a bad model. Right. Yeah. I think, and that's an element that probably doesn't exist a lot, that the group, even if it's policing themselves, there needs to be that accountability and that expectation. And if someone's not meeting that expectation, it needs to be dealt with. And that hopefully eliminates power groups from forming to try to take over and overthrow the present. Well, and I'll tell you also one more pet peeve, 
I said I'd give you the last word, but I just <coughs> took it back. From I knew you. that wasn't true. Yeah. The, the, another pet peeve of mine, though, is one of our value statements is enter the danger. It's where we, yeah. we just refuse to not talk about difficult things, even though it's painful. Right. I think it's a it's a cheap way out to create a system that forces people out over time, and that's your mechanism oh, yeah. for getting rid of people <laughs> that you don't want. In other words, you have someone who is elected yeah. into a position of authority in your church. And they're not doing the right thing. They're not doing the right yeah. job. But they only have three years left. But so only we'll three years, and then we're just, we'll either pray them out or we'll wait them out. Yeah. Please, people, don't do something like that. Yeah, no. That's Deal not with good. the conflict. Yes. Remove the speck from your eye yeah. so you yeah. can move on down the road, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of Crazy Pastors. As always, if you have a crazy pastor story to share or you would like us to discuss a specific topic, please email those to crazypastors at firstburleson.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Oh, he did get the last word. Bye again. (laughs) 